0: Uh, I gave you an assignment before we started this evening, and that assignment was very simple. Um, we read a list this morning of what cannot separate us from the love of Christ if God be for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? And he had a list there, and he talked about a variety of things. And let's uh, just to help you rec- recollect that and give you a little more time Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read that list again to you. It says, verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Now I'm pretty confident that that list isn't very meaningful to you because you haven't really experienced much of that in your Christian walk. You all look pretty well fed I don't know if you've ever really experienced famine. You're all well-clothed against the cold. Uh, You don't seem to be uh, at peril being here. I think you have a great amount of liberty to be here. Uh, And so uh, it doesn't look like any of your life's being threatened or you're under distress being here. So um, let's make up our list. What is it that is... Seeking in this day and age, in our experience, in a different form of the word tribulation, to separate you from the love of Christ. What kind of things are we confronting in our age that is striving to separate you from the love of Christ? To destroy your faith. Yes, Mr. Brummett. HR, HR, which is human resources, sensitivity training. Which means what? What aspect of that? You must accept everyone, no matter who or what they are or do. There are no moral absolutes. There is girls aren't girls, boys aren't boys if they don't want to be. Um, and there is no moral truth, to this, no standard. Okay. What else? What other adversary do you have that is seeking to separate you from the love of Christ? Follow us, not your faith. Okay, sports. How's it doing? It follow us, not your faith. Oh yeah, they managed to schedule that in conflict with any time we have activities, and I found that true no matter what. Uh, even when you're the coach and you in little league and you're trying to get it scheduled, and you kind of have some. Influence over the schedule, you still can't get them to give you the day off you need for your children's program. Things like that. Um, But all sports are always in conflict. you ever notice that? Whoever decided that that Sunday was the best day for sports. Uh, I want you to remember not so very long ago uh, that Christians never competed on Sundays. Now we applaud people competing on Sundays as long as they kneel in the end zone and point to heaven. Hey, what other adversity are we confronted with? Pretty much all, we in media is all, all right. You are confronted with media, images, and ideas and philosophy that is not just subtly anymore anti God's word and truth and God Himself, but is blatantly saying that you are a bunch of wackos if you believe the Bible and follow God and his word as literal truth, that you are completely whacked out. And that is Hollywood's official stand, and, and uh, we see it blatantly thrown at us. Uh, we just had to stop watching modern television because you couldn't get one episode by without uh, a homosexual being thrown at you, and they're never the criminal, they're the victim. Uh, And things like that. And so it just couldn't be there. And so the violence, the immorality, uh, and quite frankly, there are things that they are putting forth that are blatantly and just flagrantly in direct opposition to God's truth. We call that blasphemy. Okay, what other opposition do we encounter? Seeking to separate us from the love of Christ. Yes, we do. All right, the attempt to get Christians to, here's the way they express it stop wearing your religion on your shirt sleeve. I remember that distinctly being spoken by one of Ronald Reagan's son, I think, Um, one of his relatives at his funeral. You know, he wouldn't wear his faith on his shirt sleeve, you know, that meaning that, you know, he kept it close to himself. As long as you keep your beliefs close to yourself, you're okay. But as soon as you try to go out there, you're going to have to deal with a justice system that says, you can't do that, let alone express it in your business and things like that. It's okay for, the op- for other people to do that, but not for the Christian community. All right. You have, again, the legal system says you cannot do what the Bible instructs you to do. The Bible says you spare the rod, you spoil your child. And uh, the government says differently. We decide. And uh, you cannot use corporeal discipline uh, on your children. That is child abuse and um, direct opposition to God's word. Others, yes? All right, let's talk about the education system. So let's talk about where they really want to drive a wedge between people and their faith, and that is in Childhood. They are doing it very early, and if you don't think that, you are not being very alert. The Bible says be on your guard, that you be aware of what's going on. And so in our educational system, again, they are striving to divorce our children from truth. Not just biblical truth, but any truth. And that's what we're going to get into. Uh, Let's just take one example. Let's just, for fun, because it's easy for us. Um, Let's get out of the moral realm, supposedly, and into an amoral content. Let's talk about science. Science is amoral, right? So what do they want you to believe? Anything the Bible teaches about our universe, our world? Reality at all? Okay, how many of you trust science when it comes to the subject of origins? Any of you? Okay, how many of you trust scientists when it comes to <laughs> That's not even a science. Psychology isn't even a science. That's... Yeah, they try to make it that. Oh, I'm just trying to think of another scientific realm because we are so, to us it is so cut and dry in the area of origins that they are attacking the Scripture, but there are many other areas that we are not sensitive to the fact that science is going contrary to the Bible. Uh, And so when the Bible says something and science says differently, uh, there's a conflict and we have to make a decision. Uh, And so the Bible describes our world. It describes his interaction with it. Uh, So let's just uh, identify, can we just say that science in general is willing to lie to oppose God? And if that's true in one category that we have no problems adhering to, is it true in other categories? Was Einstein correct? Is there, is there such a thing as what he invented? Theoretically. All of Einstein's work pretty much was theoretical. And you do know that he was not accepted by the most brilliant man of his age, which who was who? Huh? Most brilliant man of the age in Einstein's period that said Einstein was full of it was a man named Tesla. Said Einstein's just making stuff up. Tesla didn't survive. He didn't jump on the bandwagon. So we have our adversaries. They're real. They are working overtime to separate you, your children, from their faith. Others. More blatant. Yes. All right. Women's liberation has been around since the 70s, late 60s, sexual revolution, and the 70s really was the women's lib movement. And uh, it has disrupted entirely the family. The concept of the relationship between husband and wife and women in the church, things like that. Uh, Very good. Another one. Okay, you do have adversity there. They try to use familial relationships to put pressure on you to deny your faith. Good. Others. Others. Politics in general. Would Politics into a, uh, into a Christian or not christian thing and those who would claim to be moral right are very wrong. Quite so. right. We replace Christ with a political agenda and that's really not going to benefit. Well, I believe um, there are lots of things we're confronted with that's getting easier and easier access to and that is destroying the act, the Relationship or seeks to destroy any access or relationship between people and Christ, and that is very fundamentally just alcohol and drugs. They're destroying families, destroying relationships, and it is seeking to separate an entire society from any concept of or desire after God. So we do have our adversities, We do have our enemies. They are very real. They are very active. And there is a tremendous pressure, far more than we realize, for us to be destroyed in our faith, weakened in our faith, and dismissed in our faith. And I think that's, we we underestimate what that means, to have our faith dismissed as something not worth talking about not worth interjecting into a conversation or into a relationship. Keep your faith to yourself, keep it at home. Just because it's absurd. You actually believe that stuff. All right? So the, that conflict is real. So what we're talking about this morning when we talk about God walking with us. and while we read through that list of perils of tribulations, uh, we might say, well I, that's not my experience. But the fact is, is that God can walk with you throughout these as well. But recognize that just as those happen to you, so the world will do things to us. And the idea that we should be immune from the world's attacks, that somehow we are some privileged class that should be able to exercise all of our faith without open opposition, um, is is uh, error, and it comes out of, born out of your Americanized ideals that really aren't biblical. Biblically, you're going to be confronting an adversity. They are going to come at you. They are going to be emboldened to come at you. They will be, have all the resources of the world to come at you. It will cost you, ex- maybe, your relationship with your children. They will take their your chil- children away. They have, They do do it. Your job. They'll do it. So they, it, it is costly. And it will become more and more costly. But we are already seeing our minds and hearts being torn away from God and drawn into the world. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, can these things separate from the, us from the love of Christ when they attack us in these fashions? Yes. Yeah, depending upon what who's doing it, Pew Research usually is the one we follow. Um, they're seeing that we're just losing our children out of our out of right out of our churches. They're just once they get of age, 14, 15, 16, they're just disconnected. The only way churches are keeping them in is with elaborate, extravagant programs to try to keep them entertained, and that doesn't usually last too long, and pretty soon they're gone. And you don't see the young adults in in there because they're already messing up their lives. And very active, both uh, drug abuse, sexual activity, um, and just uh, engaged in the world. Worldliness defines them. So this is what we are confronting. And so we are called to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are to be overcomers of this stuff, and it's really hard to overcome an enemy that you haven't even identified. And I fear that too often we are confronting things that we aren't identifying as an enemy. And so they are out there, they are real, and I want to take some time to do that. We're going to be hitting some of those in Jude when we talk about false teachers, but I want you to not say, well, these things aren't my experience and I don't need to overcome. You do need to overcome. Satan... In this time is very subtle, but very real, and it may not be a physical attack, but your faith is under assault daily in this nation, in this society, and globally. And so we are called on to be more than conquerors through him who loved us and recognize that there are things that want to separate us from the love of God. But they are not capable of doing that if God is for us and we are walking with him and him with us. And his promises, he will walk with us. And so I want to take a look at a couple of passages to see how Christ does that um, that are not tied into uh, here in Romans. So one of them is Ephesians. If you'll turn to Ephesians very quickly with me. Ephesians chapter 1, we uh, probably know chapter 2 pretty well, because we're memorizing it, and we're life clubs. But in Ephesians chapter 1, we want to pick up in verse um, 11 of chapter 1, it says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. So he's talking about your future. Are you going to be preserved all the way to your inheritance? being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory there's the idea of the glorification there in him you also after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the holy spirit a promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so we see in the end of verse 14, this is the description of the end, that God will preserve us to its conclusion of the reception of our inheritance. But he hasn't just (laughs) come into our life and and then vacated it until that day, that somehow we can just do as we please in between those two intersections of our life with God. It's not how it works. What do we find here? He says, "I'm the evidence that you're going to endure to receive your inheritance, to actually get there, to be preserved to that day, the day of Christ, is, among other things, the Holy Spirit. He is the seal. He is the guarantee that you will get your inheritance. So, is the Holy Spirit's life intersecting with yours or intimate with yours? For the true believer, what should it be? Intimate, right? We talk about the Holy Spirit being resident within us, that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not a an occasional crossing paths thing. If that's your relationship with the Holy Spirit, and every now and then you get an emotional excitement, you confuse that with with uh, walking in the Spirit. Uh, you get a big charge out of some sermon or out of some music or some drama. Uh, ooh, you know, and, and I saw a lot of that uh, when the Passion of Christ movie was out. People were like, oh, this is such a... Well, that was an emotional appeal through the medium that's designed to appeal to your emotions. But we're talking about our everyday walk with Holy Spirit. This is the guarantee. This is the stamp. And that's why when we get into God's Word where it says don't quench Him... Don't resist him. Don't sin against him. Don't lie to him. Wow, that's pretty intense. Why? Because he's the one that's going to get you from here to there. He's the guarantor of your inheritance. That is, he is the one sent by Christ when he gets to the Father, says, I'm going to send you the comforter. And when he comes, he will guide you. That's a day-to-day event. He's going to guide you in one of his His main term is the comforter. What does that imply if he's the comforter? You're going to need to be comforted, right? Does that click to you? It means that some bad things are going to happen. You're going to need his work of comforting you in Christ's physical absence. And so we have the spirit within us that as we engage the world and we see, I mean, it is horrible in my 54 years to see the degradation of not just society, I expect that, but the church. My fellow pastors, to see them just turn to mush. Oh, they're politically active and they've got all the social agenda right in, in the Christian ideas. Um, but boy, in terms of critical thought of engaging our society, they're just mush. How else do you explain Super Bowl parties in churches on Sunday? How else do you explain that? That that we have just succumbed. We've just given up. We've surrendered. How do you explain that we have to have video? If we don't have media, multimedia, we're not really doing church anymore. How do you explain that? Other than they just succumbed. That this is the only way we can. We have to entertain. If we don't entertain, they won't come. Well, our, the church isn't about entertainment. It's not its purpose. Nowhere is that its purpose. But we worship entertainment in our society. And our pastors have simply conceded. I have to entertain to get them. I have one pastor that just concede. I have to pay people to come. So we watch it all degrade, and we say, well, where is the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit is going to lead you into truth. It's going to guide you and comfort you. That is, that you're going to experience these losses. I mean, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword, tribulation, those are pretty substantial losses. Would you agree? And we're experiencing substantial losses, and part of the Holy Spirit's to get you to endure is to comfort you. Well, if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit, because we're not walking in Him, we're resisting Him, we don't like to be convicted, we don't like to be told we do, because we're Americans, we do as we please, um, and i got three scientists behind me that will agree with me, and a lawyer, and that's all you need. If you've got three scientists and a lawyer, you must be right, right? So, where is our dependence on and our engagement with Holy Spirit? He's the one that's going to help you endure, comfort you along the way. If we are quenching him, that is putting a wet blanket over and removing the fuel that he uses to work in our life, and what is the fuel that God uses to work in our life? It's the word, Spirit's sword. You're going to not have the comfort you need and you are going to succumb. You are simply going to be spiritually crippled to the point of faithlessness. And that's what Paul's concern is. That's what Jude's concern is. Uh, that's what the writer of Hebrews' concern is. You are going to be so downcast because you're not walking the Spirit at the affairs of this world that you lose faith in God. And then where are you? You have no hope at all. You are in miserable condition. So the Holy Spirit is the guarantor of our inheritance to come. He is the one that's going to be intimate with us, to guide us through and to comfort us through perilous times before his coming. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. See it from another perspective a little bit. That's the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about another one. Uh, let's, pick up, um, let's pick up in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so we have two other resources that we talk about. And again, these aren't intersecting your life just when you feel you have a need, because usually your felt needs aren't real spiritual needs. I hate to tell you that. Your felt needs are not real spiritual needs. Um, your mundane frustrations with life and, and even our, just our bodies growing old and decrepit because of the weight of sin that's on the physical world. Um, and, and we can say, oh, I need a surgery. I got a baby flipped in my belly. I got pain in my back. I got, I got these immediate needs. Well, those are your felt needs, but they aren't really that significant compared to what we're talking about here. We're talking about um, that which imperils us in our faith in God. And God says, I'm right there. Look at the two things. He talks about, you're going to be diligent in the rest. Don't fall. And so the first thing we have, again, the word of God, verse 12, that is there. God wants you to your rest. Think of your rest as finishing the race. You get to rest. Your rest is heaven. Your rest is being preserved. Your rest is glorified. Okay, That's the term used in here in Hebrews that we pick up in the other passages. But here it's rest. Think of rest as God finishing what he began in you, what we talked about this morning. And so here's the rest. Well, the word of God is the way to do it. But secondly that exposes what's really going on in your heart. Those needs are real, and most of us don't even want to touch them. Am I really living for God? Are my priorities really biblical? Do I really see the world as evil? Do I really think that scientists are trying to separate me from the love of God? Do I really believe that that this television program is trying to move me away from following after God, do I really think that sports is more important? Do I really want to challenge the idea that what's more important, sports or God, in my life? Or money in God? Or anything in God? That's a real spiritual need that most of us aren't willing to face. In our society, there is no call to it. There's no call to really deeply examine our ways, consider our ways, the Old Testament prophets said, consider your ways, consider your ways, consider, he kept saying it. And no one did. And I kind of feel like that today. You yell at people and you, and you beg people, you cry at people, you, you explain to people, consider your ways, and they don't want to. That is the greatest spiritual need we are confronting in our age. Because no one wants you to consider your ways. Just do it. Sound familiar? Just do it. Just do it. Isn't that the big motto? Just do it. No. Think. Consider your ways. Are you living a life that is, a, that is right with God? And so the Word of God is that which exposes your thoughts, your intents, your priorities, your, your life. And we don't like it. And so that's, how you, that's why you resist the Holy Spirit. And the, that's why you don't enjoy time in God's Word. Because uh, we don't like what it has to say. We don't want to do that hard, serious stuff of considering what's important to me. The second help in this passage, which is our third tonight, we have the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, and now we have a high priest. We have Jesus Christ. Remember, we're going to be preserved in Christ Jesus in Jude 1. And so we find that he is there as our helper. How does he help? Well, he helps because he knows something. He has an experience that isn't shared by the Holy Spirit, an experience that isn't shared by the Father, and that is, he came down here and became man and was tempted and was tried um, like you were. He knows, and this is really important to the argument uh, of the book of Hebrews is that we have a priest that is familiar with our hardships. He was hungry, he's been thirsty, he was he he was naked on the cross, he was beaten, he was despised by men, he had enemies, he went in opposition to the established norms. He violated the religious elite and their ideas. He went contrary all the way through. He experienced all of that, even the betrayal of one of his Intimate 12. He experienced all of that. You name it. He went through it. Why? So that he could be acquainted with us. We have a high priest that it says can sympathize with our weaknesses. He goes, yeah, your flesh is weak because I've felt hunger. I felt cold. I understand the relational psychology of being separated from someone that you trusted and have them betray you. I can sympathize. We have a sympathetic Savior. And that's so important to us enduring. And I didn't get to talk about this morning because I just don't have enough time on Sunday morning to really do this properly, so... We have a sympathizing Savior that comes alongside and says, I know what you're going through. I might probably know better than you do what you're going through. Because we have been lulled to sleep like the proverbial frog in the kettle. We don't even know we're being boiled to death. But God does. Christ does know it. Think about how subtle Satan approached Christ. You hungry? Turn these stones to bread. I'm going to take you on a high place and show you all the world. It's a phenomenal thing, by the way. We're going to study that later on in Jude, how Satan did that. Um, Took him to one high place and saw the whole world. Bow down, worship me. I'll give you. And it was his domain at the time because that's where he was. Very subtle. Christ understands subtle attack of Satan. He's going to hit you at your weak spot. If you're hungry, he's going to use food. If you're bored, he'll use entertainment to fill your mind with his junk instead of God's truth. If you've got the EBGBs, jeebies <laughs> spring fever, whatever you want to call it, he'll find all kinds of trouble for you to get into Physically. Anything and everything to separate you from the love of Christ. So now, the love of Christ and loving Christ aren't a priority anymore. Well, I love the things of this world. They taste good. They feel good. They look good. I'm impressive. And it's sad because that's all there is. And then this world's gone. And then what? So I know Valerie keeps talking about these motorcyclists that come. She's got that little scooter. She's going around, me a little 150 me, and these motorcyclists come up beside her at intersections and want to race her. And she's like, "Why do they want to do that?" It's like obviously they're got some issue. They got to prove something that their motorcycle is stronger than my scooter, you know. <laughs> What's They're trying to prove. What are they trying to accomplish? They're trying to get a self-image that has been devastated from their motorcycle because they have no spiritual truth in their life. So all they can grasp at is these empty, worthless things. It's no different than a woman making up her face to look like a model or something. Is that who you are? Is that all you got? Because it washes away I hate, or wears off. I mean, if you try to, you go to bed with it and see what you look like in the morning. Okay, um, it doesn't last. And so let's not make our identity about that. But the world has nothing else to grasp. And so we have a high priest that understands what you're going through. He was told, "Can't you just get along?" You know. Remember, um, you know, even. He had to tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. You know, you don't need to be crucified. Don't talk like that. You don't need to be crucified. Yes, I do. Get behind me. You know, let's just pay our taxes and get along. Well, should I have to pay taxes? I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, go fishing and pay the tax. The temple tax, by the way. That he was the lord over. His temple. When they're actually supposed to be paying it toward was him, not from him, to him. And so we find God knows. He f- knows what you're going through. He knows the opposition is real, better than you do. And he is there every step if we will allow him to come with us. Instead of just praying to God when we're in an automobile accident or something, some tragedy happens that we weren't expecting or were not expecting. Um, that's just an intersecting relationship with God, and that's not what it means to endure and have faith that trusts in the living God. And that's what he, Ephesians talks about that you who heard, believed, and now you believe, you have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. If you really believe and you really trusted in Christ fully, You're understanding this is not an intersecting relationship. This is an intimate, alongside of relationship. Um, Literally one of the terms of the comforter means to come alongside of. That's what the Greek really means. He comes alongside of you. Holds you up. Sustains you. Guides you. Grabs you by the arm and says, let's go. You got me with you. Because Christ knows you need it because he was here in the flesh and he knows he had his he knows your weaknesses because he was there and maybe that's one of the reasons god is so patient with us to wait for us to get it that you can't go it alone that you have opposition you don't even understand is out there and you aren't ready to recognize that you don't take the time to consider your ways, you just do what feels best because you are driven by your flesh instead of your spirit. And we should be driven by his spirit altogether. And once we set our mind on the finish, to finish the race, the inheritance, the completion, the the preserve that is made for us, um, the rest that is waiting for us, once that becomes our longing, now we look at God's word, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ very differently. And so he has given us this great benefit. And I want to challenge you, keep challenging you to recognize you have enemies. We're going to deal with some of the enemies you talked about tonight. I'm glad you brought them up. I'm going to interject a few others. Um, they're real. So don't think the book of Jude is, is not relevant because you don't have those same exact issues in your life. You have massive amounts of opposition that is so subtle that we have fallen asleep at the wheel and don't even realize how danger, how much in danger we are. But there's going to be a sudden, very fast stop, collision, and uh, many have confronted it and lost their faith. Can we do that? The Bible seems to think so. And we're going to talk about that. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, that you came to earth to understand and to experience the weaknesses and the temptations and the pains of our life here, that you know what we need, and that out of that knowledge, you sent your spirit and your word to comfort and guide us and, and to keep us in the midst of all this. And Lord, we We've listed just some of the opposition we see around us and help us be more and more sensitive and recognize that there are things not only out in the world but in our own flesh that war against our faith in you. Lord, make us um, bold, as your word says, because of your word, because of your spirit, because of your son Jesus Christ, to seek your mercy and your grace. Oh, Lord, have mercy on us. We deserve your punishment. We deserve to be cast out of your family because we have been very disloyal to your kingdom. Please be merciful. Extend your grace to us that we might walk more worthy this week than last of the calling that you've put upon us. That we might be more guarded in our walk and cherish the time we can spend with you in your word, with your people. To your honor, praise, and glory. In Christ Jesus' name. Amen.